Howdy. Welcome to the Year 2 Podcast. I'm Dylan Portovan. I'm Alec Cattle. And I'm Brian Bass. And we're your source for everything Aggie football. In today's episode, we're going to recap the game against Lamar. We're going to preview the game against Auburn and their quarterback, Bill Nix. And then we're going to talk about A&M's position in the AP pool. The Year 2 Podcast is brought to you by the Battalion and our good friends at Hidden Creek RV Resort at 5780 State Highway 21 East in Bryan. Escape the ordinary Hidden Creek RV Resort where they provide guests with all of the amenities you'll need to enjoy a truly luxurious RV resort experience. From their resort-style pool to their cabins, they provide guests with a stay that is anything but ordinary. To learn more, visit HiddenCreekRV.com or call them at 979-778-1200. 62-3. I think that was a pretty good game we had against Lamar, don't you all? Yes, sir. I think uh, the offense showed that uh, they responded well to everything that we saw negatively against the game with Clemson. Um, defensively, it's always great to see uh, no touchdowns on the board. And uh, I think uh, we got to see a lot of truly great things out of a lot of young players, including true freshman Isaiah Spiller. Um, Aniah Smith, another true freshman, came up big for the receiving core. And I think it answered a lot of the questions and kind of helped the uh, team settle in with their confidence, especially for this big game going in versus uh, Auburn to open SEC play. You mentioned Isaiah Spiller. That's definitely something I really liked. I liked seeing Isaiah Spiller get in carries, get some yards. He showed explosiveness. He showed he can run the ball in between the tackles. And then even Jacob Cabote, you know, we didn't see too much from him. But I saw enough to feel comfortable with him as our short yardage back. And if we need to get a yard, both Spiller and Cabote, they're big enough, and I think we'll be able to do that. Yeah, something I was pleasantly surprised with was true freshman receiver uh, Anaya Smith. Uh, what I was surprised about, obviously this was a highly touted recruit, but we haven't seen a lot of them yet. And something, I, I mean, 66 yards on six receptions. Man had a big night, including a touchdown, and what I think was nice to see was uh, with Courtney Davis being out for this game versus Lamar, uh, it kind of showed that kind of showed the depth that a receiving core has, mm-hmm. and that we do have other guys that maybe we don't know quite yet who are willing to go in there, step up, and make big plays. And I wouldn't be surprised if in this game versus Auburn this Saturday you see uh, more of Anaya Smith. Yeah, I'd have to second that. I think that's also Jimbo Fisher's plan is to put Anaya Smith uh, Anaya Smith in. He said after the game that this is a guy that they would like to start counting on uh, once we get into the you know our conference slate, and uh, that's a big thing for us. I mean, more weapons for us, more more stuff to that Kellen Mond gets to work with, and that just kind of transitions into what I was more worried about uh, during the game. I tweeted out, I was like, hey, I mean, I'm not disappointed. I'm on here but I'm not really impressed by him here either right. um if he needs if we are going to win the game against Auburn next week he has to find the end zone more I don't care if that's on his legs I don't care if that's in the air he needs to find it more often to see that he had you know one and one TD INT ratio against Lamar is like okay let's because I know almost every other quarterback in the SEC is going to put up at least three touchdowns now, that's on average, you know what I'm talking about. So it's uh, it's something that I was a little worried by. I think I don't know if it what it was. I think it was just him trying to get you know less shaky going back into the game. Also, he didn't even play most of the fourth quarter either. Mm-hmm. So um, that was Zach Calzada who got in there. Who I was honestly, I mean, looked good for you know fourth quarter against Lamar, but uh, you know that's just kind of where I'm at. Yeah, there is no surprises with the Lamar game. I will say. I mean, no big surprises. I didn't expect Nia Smith to play the way he right. did. But 
I will say that Kellen Munn not balling out against Lamar, it, it just it doesn't comfort me in the future when we think about when he's in the hostile environment. Because we talked about it last week. He plays better at home, way better at home, than he does on the road. When He's going to have to go on the road this year. He's going to have to play in Athens. He's going to have to play at LSU. He's going to have to do that. And it's just the more I see from him, the more I'm not comfortable about that. I'm really looking forward to this game against Auburn because now we get to see him against a very good opponent at home. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned uh, Kellen Mond in the uh, A&M offense versus Auburn defense article. Uh, something that is kind of concerning me, the that he has at least one interception in every game this season. That's something that if we're going to expect big uh, things out of the season this year, expect big wins, he's going to have to limit those turnovers. You can't, you can't have to think every uh, every game, expect a turnover from Kellen Mond through the air. I mean, that's just something that's got to be limited. But one thing I will say to kind of take a little bit of the criticism and the pressure off of Kellen Mond is that uh, he still threw for 300-plus yards versus Lamar. I would have liked to have seen him get more touchdowns through the air, obviously, but he did also rush for a touchdown. And it seemed like uh, when the receivers in him are clicking, that things go well. Uh, his one interception, I believe we were bringing this up in the press conference, was that if you looked closely, it seemed as if uh, Kendrick Rogers kind of gave up on the route, and it just uh, it it forced a lot of it forced just a lot of things to go wrong. Where and that's where I kind of mention a lot with the receiving core. I think they're very talented, but it's seeming like the 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 chemistry maybe between the receiving core and Kellen Mond just isn't there. And something that I thought was very pleasant to see was when Anaya Smith came in, it seemed like that chemistry reconnected. It seemed like uh, Mond was more on his feet. It seemed like the whole team was just kind of clicking when Anaya Smith was going off. So uh, going back to the receiving core, it is nice to see that sometimes if your big stars aren't going to play, sometimes it's, it's time for other guys to step up, and that's where I'm excited to see from that unit. You know, I think something that also other people are really forgetting is that he doesn't have his top target from last year back. You know, mm-hmm. with Jace, he doesn't have a stir- he doesn't have a tight end that he can reliably throw to right now. Right. I would like for that to be Jalen Weidermeyer. I believe that's that can be the guy, but you know, he's got to start. You know, he's got to start not Doing growing it. up mm-hmm. is not the word I'm looking for, but it's like getting maturing at his position. And mm-hmm. you know, as a true freshman, it's hard to do that in yeah. this in this type of offense. I mean, that's extremely that's extremely hard to do. Um, I mean, Glenn's only Glenn Beal's only getting like one reception a game. That's on average is what he's getting. I mean, I remember seeing him catch the ball against Lamar. I was like, okay, well, there, there's his one reception for the game. And uh, you know, and then Jalen is going to get you know he got a little bit more looks, but that was because of Calzada, mm-hmm. but. You know, going forward, I think I need to see a little bit more from the tight end group. Uh, I definitely want to see them get open more instead of using them like in a blocking type of scheme there up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. I, I'd like and to in that yeah, the chemistry between them definitely it doesn't um, encourage me a lot either. And and it's tough because Sternberger was a very talented tight yes, end. He's yeah, in definitely. the league now. He plays for the Packers. He's he's a formidable player, and so it's that's going to be tough to replace regardless. But the good thing is is this game against Auburn is at home. And if Kellen Mond can play as good as he's played at home in the past, 
it'll be saying something because this this Auburn defense is for real. In the front seven, in the back four, their secondary is full of veterans, and their defensive front line is huge. Big Cat Bryant isn't even the biggest person on there, and his name is Big Cat Bryant. We got <laughs> And then Nick Coe, their outside linebacker, I was looking at their depth chart. He is behind three out of the four defensive linemen. He, they will ask him to play anywhere. And this man is 6'4", 291 pounds. It, this Auburn team is ranked eighth for a reason, and I'm very excited to see how well we, we compare against them. Yeah, it's going yeah, to be a battle, I mean, up front. That is going to be a battle of the trenches, and this game is going to be definitely one of the trenches. Bobby said it over in the press conference on Monday, and it's, you know, it's, that's just what it's going to be from the start. It's like, how well is that offensive line going to do against that front seven, who's definitely going to be blitzing? I mean, they're definitely going to be blitzing that line, our line. And then on the other end, we're definitely going to be just trying to fill lanes, do every, everything we can with Bobby and Justin in order to, stop the run somehow because they will be running it quite a bit with with Traverius uh or Tavarius uh Jatavarius Whitlow um so yeah uh one thing uh regarding that battle in the trenches something that might help A&M out is whereas the Aggies have our big guy at Bobby Brown uh Auburn might be uh lacking their big guy in Derek Brown uh Derek Brown is a 318 five, or six foot five defensive tackle and uh, just the standout senior is a ridiculous monster who goes in there, plugs up those gaps that teams try to make for the running lanes, and just uh, without his presence there, and he's day-to-day right now. He uh, suffered an upper body contusion, and uh, if he is not able to play versus A&M, that's going to be an advantage that A&M's going to have to try to exploit. Um... Just uh, especially with a, a true freshman at running back, it's going to be his first uh, true test, Isaiah Spiller, that mm-hmm. being. Um, it'd be a lot more comforting of the thought, I'm being honest, if knowing that Derek Brown isn't going to be a factor in this game. Mm-hmm. And even at that, you know, we don't want to see Derek Brown. You know, he's, it's, like you said, he's massive. But they all have a replacement in there. They might send Nick Coe, like, like I just mentioned. He... He will be. This defensive line is gonna be playing good regardless. So we're gonna need any help we can. Please, please be hurt, Derek Brown. Hope you're safe, well, but yeah, <laughs> don't play against the Saturday. They, they won't send Nick Coe in there just because he's not heavy enough to be in there at the at the defensive tackle position. But he is two ninety. He's he's two eighty two. When I last checked, I, I but, saw I mean, earlier today he was two. He was two ninety. Yeah, I still don't think that's heavy enough right down there personally. But the um. When it comes to that line, we definitely want to be seeing them get every advantage that they can down right. there, for sure. I mean, they got other big guys to send down there, but you know, Nick Derek Brown is a first is a future first rounder. Yeah, and I mean, and, he and, provides that leadership on the line. Being a senior, he he's yes. just I mean, it it just true. I mean, they were they were speaking about it in the press conference with Carson Green. He noted. Uh, you know, as as an offensive lineman having to go against these players, he noted, we want everyone at their best. We want to be able to, if we beat these teams, we want to go in there and say we beat them fair and square at their best. But, I mean, you just got to look at it from a... Uh, analytical. I, I believe you just got to look at it, yeah, from an analytical standpoint, just saying if, if they can play without that leadership and that uh, 
just that talent that they're used to, mm-hmm. that A&M will have to go in there and try to exploit that because this truly is a very impressive uh, just front seven from Auburn. Mm-hmm. They uh, This could be one of the... This will be one of the best defensive units we see. Uh, I expect them to be very similar to Clemson. Um, possibly in other ways better, maybe. Um, so A&M's got to take advantage of any anything that uh, Auburn gives them. And it's going to be a true battle in the trenches. I think this weekend you really are going to see a true SEC matchup yep. where A&M's going to have to go in there, try to establish themselves as a force on the ground with Isaiah Spiller and just go head up with that Auburn front seven. Well, let's talk about that analytics point that we made there for just a second. I mean, let's say that Derrick Brown is in there. I mean, you're going to have to double that guy. I mean, oh, let's yeah, just yeah. be real. Oh, yeah. But then after that, that means you got three other guys. For the They run a 4-3, so you have to run with three other guys. It's a one-on-one battle between uh, somebody else and Nick Cole, somebody else and Big Cat, and somebody else and their nose guard, mm-hmm. which that is going to be extremely tough. So, I mean, if we're talking about left guard and center on Derek, that means right guard is taking care of the nose guard. Buck is getting ca- taken care of by, um, I'm guessing that's, that's Carson Green, and then Dan Moore is taking care of Big Cat Brian. I mean, those are, those are crazy, crazy matchups. Yeah, so you, I, you I definitely watch out feel for. that... Uh... Out of the tight ends, out of Widermeyer and Beal, you're definitely going to have to see their blocking come through this game. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we've also seen uh, flashes of what's been done with um, Glenn and Jalen both being out there at the same time on the both sides of the line. Right. So we've had we that might be something that we see more often than we have in any other game going forward. Yeah, and leaving the ground game, I mean, still keeping it on blocking, uh, I think it's going to be very big for seeing how Kabodi and uh, Isaiah Spiller do as blocking a. Uh, as running backs, I think that's going to be big. Uh, Kellen Mond's going to need every help he every every kind of help he can get. Uh, that's something that I haven't been too impressed with A and M as a uh, offense. It seems like a uh, passing. It seems like Kellen Mond's always under a lot of pressure. It always seems like uh, just uh, we're we're struggling to pick up blitzes. We're struggling just just with uh, giving Kellen Mond that needed time. And I think that's a big part of some of the. Uh, lack of success that we've been seeing out of him as of late. So it would be big to see if uh, not just the line, but if those running backs could kind of give that secondary help in in the blocking scheme. Yeah, I, and yeah. I and what I'm thinking about is when that A&M offensive line matches up against that Auburn defensive line, that's going to be one of the just purely massive human being matchups that we will see in college football. And that's going to be exciting. So I think it's important, and it's also a good thing. We were talking about it earlier. Isaiah Spiller is a big man. He's 6'1", 220. You know, when we first saw him play, we were taken back by his explosiveness, by, by his speed. But he's a big body that can get in there. So I think it's really important early on to get Isaiah Spiller going, get him going as quickly as possible. So whenever we do need to rely on Kellen Munn to pass the ball, the secondaries up more, and we can take a bigger advantage of that because it's going to take a balanced attack to beat this Auburn defense. Um, you you know, what I was thinking about just back to the past thing is the uh, you know when it comes to being able to block those guys, I need to see Kellen get a little bit more active in the pocket. Um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes those things that you know, the, just the little things. Remember last year when he was getting uncomfortable in the pocket, he would leave. I mean, that's just, right. that just it. Now he's getting a little bit too comfortable in the pocket, I feel like, and is not able to, you know, make those certain maneuvers that he needs to make to get the throw off uh, sometimes, you know. And also, I, I would love to see him roll out more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's extremely effective rolling out. I've only like seen him like twice last week. He, uh, you saw that in the Texas State game. That was, I would argue, that was, that was a beautiful the best pass he's done all season. Yeah, yeah. rolls yeah, out, absolutely. delivers a, a quality NFL type pass. Also, uh, just like uh, when I was talking about the positive we've seen out of him, at least versus the two uh, lesser opponents that AM's played out of the three, that being Texas State and uh, Lamar, uh, Kellen Mond's got a, a score on the ground in both of those games. I would love to see Kellen Mond use his legs a little bit more, not just in rolling out, but I, maybe even in some designed runs, just go in there, use his legs, see if we can pick up yardage and points like that. I think that's something that oh yeah, you beat me to on that one, is that I'd like to see him use his legs a little bit more. I think he has a very, I think he's a God-given ability there, and he right. should definitely be using it more. And I just, it's just not something that, I don't know if Jimbo had actually told him like, hey, let's dial this back a little bit. You know, we need to have you, you know, we we just don't have the depth for you getting hurt. That's understandable. But honestly, on some plays, it's just begging for him to run. And there's a few there's a few plays where he's just getting sacked or he's getting hurried. And I'm just like, okay, well, why are you throwing it away here? Why aren't you running? I mean, there's, there's a, a mile of green grass ahead of you and you're not taking it. And that just hasn't, that hasn't made sense to me. I really hope that he starts being able to move forward so and actually be able to run the ball a bit. Um, let's talk about Bo Nix for a little bit. I think it's something that we definitely haven't talked about and it's enough very yet. Interesting. And, uh, I mean, Bo Nix's background is uh, incredible. Uh, number one dual threat quarterback out of last year's class, Mr. Alabama football. His dad was his head coach who was also the quarterback at Auburn in the mid-90s who was coached by Tommy Bowden. <laughs> Uh, Hall of Fame head coach, and then Jimbo Fisher was his quarterback's coach. So all of that learning that he gained from college, he taught his son, and now his son is at Auburn playing quarterback as a true freshman. And Jimbo said himself, he's like, okay, this is a really smart kid, very competitive kid. Um, I mean, obviously it showed by his high school performances. I, I don't know the details of what he won or what, you know, or vice versa, but I just know that this kid is extremely competitive, has a lot to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, just in his game, he has a lot to work on. I mean, Gus Malzahn will help him develop that over time. Uh, he helped uh, other guys do that as well. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, um, you saw it in that first game that he had versus Oregon. Um, he obviously showed, uh, he struggled. He had he had his freshman woes. But he also, deli- arguably, he delivered the win. Yeah, he uh, just, shook, he just game, shook it off. In that last, in that last uh, big play of them for the game, where they go in, score off of a huge uh, thirty-plus yard touchdown, just beautiful pass towards the end zone, got them a win over uh, over a Oregon. great yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, a great team in Oregon. But not only that, just a great win under pressure. It was his first game as a collegiate athlete in AT and T Stadium versus Oregon. Uh, and Auburn went in there and delivered under Bo Nix. And I think uh, even though I do think that uh, Kyle Field will offer a different sort of intimidation factor, yeah, this is a quarterback, despite his uh, experience and age, who has shown that he can deliver under pressure. I mean, let's just not get it twisted. I mean, this, this environment that he is walking into here on Saturday, there's nothing like he, right. He's never played an environment like this ever. Right. AT&T Stadium was a neutral site, and, and that was a neutral site, and that's 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 a different one that he played in in high school for sure. Right, but he's definitely never played anything like Kyle Field, and that's a hundred thousand strong who's going to be 
that's not for you. Yeah, that <laughs> that's is. not for you. That's against you a hundred percent. And they will they will light it up with how loud they get. So I'm gonna see. I would love to see how he uh, how he really performs under that pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's gonna have a plenty of protection there with that offensive line. He, that entire offensive line return from last year, all the starters, and um, you know he's gonna have all the protection, all the great things for him there. Mm-hmm. It's just can he overcome the environment? And that is going to be the number one question and narrative going into this game. When I, when I see Bo Nitz, I, a quick and brief and not entirely accurate comparison I get is he kind of reminds me of Baker Mayfield in the sense that he has the moxie, he's a baller, but you know he has a 52% completion percentage right now. He's thrown four touchdowns and two interceptions. He doesn't have jump-off-the-page numbers, but when you've seen him play – you get that feeling of, all right, this guy gets that it factor. And so I think we were talking about it before we started the podcast. You said he's getting he's average, but he's getting better. Yeah. That's that's going to be a problem in the future. Maybe even that in, as the season ends. But in the future, Bo Nitz is going to be a problem. And this is going to be our first sign of him. And this is where we ask our defensive line to come up huge. Yeah. Like you said, their offensive line is returning their starters from last season. Our defense, we need uh, Marubuke and Bobby Brown to play out of their mind. We need Buddy Johnson and Anthony Hines flying around the field. I I fully expect this to be a classic SEC matchup where it's defense against defense and the better better man wins. Yeah, and while uh, we've been talking about the Auburn defensive line, on the other side, there's the A&M defensive line, who they, right now as a defense, A&M does rank above Auburn overall. we're the, uh, I believe, the number three overall defense in the SEC. And a lot of that can be accredited to the performance of the defensive line. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, just like you mentioned, we have a lot of big guys, including Bobby Brown, Justin Matabike, uh, Jalen Peavy, uh, an encouraging thing for A&M. Jimbo says that expect to see him playing on Saturday. Um, That's a good thing. That's something that they definitely, right. I think that they needed a lot for their depth, mm-hmm. Is especially going into this one, is... Is PV. They needed him. Right. And I just, that defensive line can't be discredited. This is a team that doesn't really allow you to rush too well. And that that also just goes into that whole idea that this game versus Auburn is going to be a true SEC battle, a battle in the trenches. On one side, you have a stout defensive line and a big uh, running attack in Auburn. Auburn giving, uh, Auburn being uh, one of the very few teams in the SEC, and at that, the nation, who they has accumulated more rushing yards than passing yards. They're number two in the SEC, only behind Georgia in amount of rushing yards. And this is a team that's going to attack that Aggie line and will only be another test for that that Aggie defensive line to go in there and see if, are, are, are they the real deal? And I think they are, so. Yeah, that's, that's a great point that you bring up. And uh, what we'll see is that how did Ch- uh, Whitlow's performance, you know, compare this year to last year? Last year, only rushed eight times for 16 yards. 16 yards, and he was a rushing lead. He was a rushing leader for Auburn last year. That's that's incredible. Now they're a little bit more run heavy, and with pretty much everybody. I mean, they use Joey Gatewood as in like a. Uh, there's a quarterback at Texas that I remember a while back that would be used just for running in the red zone. I can't remember who his Heard. name is now. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, he was Jalen. Was it Jalen Hurd? Hurd. Yeah, he was. Use, and they're using Joey Gatewood in a similar situation. You know, a lot bigger than Knicks, and he's a backward. He's a backup quarterback. He lost the battle to Knicks earlier in the pre in the uh, in the off season, and so they'll use him. They'll use Whitlow. Uh, Whitlow will be used universally. Uh, Gatewood will be used in you know short down and distance uh, situations, red zone situations. Uh, goal line situations, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. I mean, that's it's going to be a huge test. I mean, they got a lot of really talented guys, big guys down there that can rush. It's going to be a test. Well, has the wrecking crew come back? Has this unit really just reloaded? Because remember, Justin's the only guy who came back from this unit last year. Right. So um, we'll definitely see. I'm looking forward to it. I'm. I'm that's one of the two things that I'm looking for is uh, our defensive front. How do they just completely stop the run or lack thereof mm-hmm. and then how does our offensive line respond to their defensive front and i think it's the war yeah and i think the promising thing about our defensive front and against auburn's and you said they were the third ranked rushing attack they uh i think it was 11th ranked rushing uh, attack. 11th ranked rushing attack yeah. we played pretty well against clemson yeah. And Clem- we held Clemson's uh travis atn down there 53 yards 53 yeah. yards. yards so and that was at Clemson. Yeah. This is at Kyle Field. It's going to be different in that sense. And I think that's going to be an advantage for us. And I I expect Auburn to get theirs. They're a talented team. But I don't expect them to run down our throat. I don't expect to see that. I don't expect to see them to have two rushes with 100 yards. I expect a, a low-scoring battle, a defensive battle. And it's gonna come. Up, it's, I think it's gonna come down to which team makes the be- the bigger plays and more more consistent the bigger plays. Well, one thing that I am excited about on that idea of just forcing Auburn to run the ball is I really do believe that the Aggie defensive line is going to hold Auburn on the ground. What's that going to do? It's going to force Bo Nix in the air. Now, A and M secondary might have struggled last year, and obviously they still show signs of not being a a truly complete unit right now. But this is a unit that leads the SEC in interceptions at the moment. I would expect to see another turnover, honestly. Seeing what we're seeing from this unit, I would expect to see that we could go in there and make a freshman quarterback, make a mistake, and get a turnover in the air. And in a game where the spread is four points, a turnover like that could be monumentous. I think that the secondary will be a big factor in this game, and I think that uh, it will go on to show that A&M, as that unit, progresses, and I think that this really is a unit that you'll see maybe not even just in another couple seasons, but maybe later this season be one of uh, the bright spots of the A&M defense rather than it being the uh, the black sheep of the of the squad. Go ahead and call it right now. I love that. I love that. I can so see Bobby Brown getting in through the middle, disrupting Knicks on his delivery, and then boom, Miles Jones get a pick, gets a pick six. I'm call it right now, Dylan. Dylan Portovit in the year two episode four podcast predicts interception. I I see it, and I think it'll be huge, like you said. Yeah, I really do, I, and I think uh, yeah. Go well, I was gonna say uh, also with the uh, return of uh, Devion Renfro, uh, we. We got to finally see him back, and I think it's going to be huge seeing him. Yeah, he had a pick before they called it off. Well, I mean, it, it barely yeah. hit the ground. I mean, yeah. they basically had a pick. And yeah, so. Uh, so, I mean, this is, like I said, this is a unit that's surprisingly leading the conference in interceptions at the moment. And, DBU? Uh, 
Let's just split half against the second. LSU's already pissed at this, man. Let's not do that. LSU's already pissed at this, bro. But with all that said, being serious, I really do mean that when I say this was a unit that last year was really what kept the defense from being uh, just really possibly like a top five defense in the nation. And we're already seeing it from the defensive line. I, I, I really think we're about the same. We're, we're going to get a lot of answers versus Auburn with that rushing attack if A&M's just as good at the rush defense as they were last season. But if they are, and the secondary is improving the way that they're showing from week to week, then this A&M defensive unit could truly be just a, a phenomenal force on the field that could take them far. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, well, to put on that point there, I think it's very possible with the amount of how I want to say distracted that I think Bo Nix is potentially going to be. Right. I mean, it's just it's just a it's just different down there. Like like Alec, you can tell me. I mean, you were down yeah. there a few weeks ago. It's just no. different. Imagine you playing in that in that environment and everybody is against you. No man. That's... Can you get a call off? Can you get any verbiage or any any cadences off? Heck no, you can't. I mean, look. Let me. I'm. I'm sorry. Remember when Kellen went to Clemson, and that was only about eighty-five thousand strong. They couldn't even hear him clap. Yeah. You add twenty around twenty thousand more to that. What do you get? Mm. You can't hear anything. I'm thinking about whenever kickoff came and we had those loud noise, the power theme song, and yeah. all that. I was completely just in awe. Yeah. And so. I I expect Nick to have that to get that same type of feeling of, you know, he he played in AT and T Stadium, but this is completely hostile and it's a massive stadium. He's at some point he's gonna be taken back by it, and I really hope we take advantage of it. the attendance of that game that you're talking about was around sixty five thousand, sixty five thousand, and I'm pretty sure that the the Ooh. the, uh, the uh, how many people they can hold in there is around 75. So that stadium wasn't even full. Yeah. So we're talking about Texas natives. Yeah. Everybody just coming in and filling that thing up. And I mean... And this is a, a marquee matchup, you know? But, and there's a couple of things I want to add here that are just really interesting. Or one's one's really interesting. And then second one is just something that needs to happen in order for A&M to get their foot in the door of a win. First off is that with the, with... Auburn being ranked the way they are right now, every team that we're playing ranked right now is in the top eight. Right. Isn't that – I mean, there's no other team in the country that's doing that. Not even South Carolina is doing that. I know, and we focus on the big four being Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. But, yeah, just like you're saying, right there, we have a number eight Auburn. Yeah. That's – That's unheard of. That That doesn't happen. That would be Notre Dame's big one matchup of the year, and that's just, oh – that's our fifth us, tough game. Yeah, we, we've already played like three or four of those. But uh, the second thing is that the thing that really needs to happen is that I think that the offense just needs to start clicking early. I think they need to start right. getting on their feet early. I think they need to start scoring on either the first or second drive. Have something happen. A, a momentum is so key. And Jimbo said this earlier uh, after the Clemson game. He said, hey, listen, this is the biggest thing that needs to happen for every game. What kind of plays will bring you momentum? And um, I think if that happens early on and they start scoring on either consecutive drives, 
You can't beat that momentum. Yeah. And speaking of uh, rankings and everything, I think it's interesting to note quickly that uh, Texas A&M did drop a spot in the poll. We went from 16th to 17th after a 59-point win. So I think that can help uh, go in there and kind of fire up the players and just have them have that attitude of saying, you know, someone's coming to our house. We, in some, in a lot of ways, they might feel disrespected in the polls. Go out there and kind of take out some of that frustration on Auburn and go out there and get a big SEC win because they're, they're going to be hard wins to get this season. It's just as we mentioned, it's a very difficult schedule. Mm-hmm. So a big win versus a big team like this could be huge, especially in A&M after we play Auburn. If we get the win over them, we travel up to AT&T Stadium to take on Arkansas, which is always a difficult match. Um, Not sure why that is, but yeah, it's just in, in theory, for whatever reason. In theory, though, Jerry Jones curse. In theory, though, uh, Al- or, uh, Arkansas should be a beatable team. So if we take this win over Auburn and then take a win over Arkansas, that leads us into the next really big matchup for A&M yeah. being Alabama. So this game versus another Alabama team in Auburn will be pivotal uh, going into uh, just a little bit later into the season. My uh, my sports editor, my, our sports lead sports editor and I, uh, Hannah Underwood, and I were talking about, you know, if we want to have game day here, um, we have to win the next two. I mean, just, we, we yeah. have to. If we don't, then we're not going to get game day. I mean, also on that same week is, uh, is uh, Red River, so... That's always a really tough one to be. It has to be a really, really good game to beat Red River. So, and this is a different type of Red River this year. So, we'll see. Um, what's the one game y'all, y'all are really looking forward to? That's not this game this weekend. This weekend, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Alex. <laughs> go ahead, Brian. For real, <laughs> y'all know. Um, for me, it's definitely going to be Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas, uh, Texas hasn't beaten the the Pokes in like four years, four straight years, and uh, Oklahoma State's looking really different on pretty much both sides of the ball. Um, so I'm really looking forward to how they go and respond um, to what Texas has been doing here the past two weeks. Um, as far as other games happening, I mean, game days: Notre Dame and Georgia. Yeah, I mean, really there's game. games like that. Uh, I would say. I'm just not sure how I'm feeling about uh, Texas versus Oklahoma State. On one hand, uh, I do think it'd be big for uh, Texas to be able to go in there and beat a team like Oklahoma State. Yeah, obviously it's in Texas. It's them. in Austin. So. Right, and I think that really, uh, if they do, however, lose, I think that really uh, shows that Texas still has a lot of problems that we've seen from the past. Yeah. The biggest game, well, we were talking about it before the podcast that I think is this week is Michigan versus uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. I think that Michigan is a team that goes in, uh, that's kind of struggled this season, hasn't really met the expectations, whereas Wisconsin's kind of on the rise. So you have that. I I think that's a big formula for either uh, truly proving that Michigan is just not the team that we think or uh, could be the big win that Michigan needs. So. And I think with that Notre Dame Georgia game, I mean personally, I don't, I don't buy Notre Dame at all. I think Notre Dame is as successful as they are because they're in the Midwest. They get the top Midwest recruits, and then they play who they want to play, and they usually have a good record by the end of it. So I'm, I'm fully expecting Georgia to come in, put Notre Dame in their place, and I think, I think Georgia gets it done there, and I think the Texas Oklahoma State game is going to be exciting because. You want to see where Texas is at. 
right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so check on Texas um, for Notre Dame to see if Ian Book is legit, and then Wisconsin and uh, Michigan uh, is Jonathan Taylor able to really apply himself there at the end. Uh, changing of the guard Indeed. in the Big Ten, getting back to the Wisconsin I'm going. To, I'm going to Camp Randall here in the, at the early early part of November, so that's going to be really fun. Ooh. So we'll see. That'll be a, that'll be a fun matchup with Iowa. So. All right. That's all we got for you guys today. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on the this episode of the Year 2 Podcast brought to you by the Battalion. And another special thank you from our good friends at Hidden Creek RV Resort at 5780 State Highway 21 East and Bryan. Once again, escape the ordinary at Hidden Creek RV Resort where they provide the guests with all the amenities you'll need to enjoy a truly luxurious RV resort experience. From their resort-style pool to their cabins, they provide guests with a stay that is anything but ordinary. To learn more, visit HiddenCreekRV.com or call them at 979-778-1200. Alright, that's all we got for y'all. Appreciate you. Alright, thanks and giggle. Thanks and giggle.